With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Bakama Datsadi Gimel, page 93. We begin on the second line, Amr Le Ravala Rabba Bamari. Here's the final statement of Rabba to Rabba Bamari that the Kumar is going to quote. Minaha Mil said, Amri Inshi, from where we know the following colloquial statement, Basar Mari Nixi Tivi Mashuk, that the fat is drawn after the person who has possessions, meaning if you want to be wealthy, so you follow someone around who's wealthy, you do dealings with him, and it will make you wealthy. Where do we find this in the verse? Amr Le Dixiv, because we find it in the verse as follows, Vegan the late, Hahalech Es Avram, also to Lot, who is going along with. With Avram Avinu, he also had sheep, cattle, and tents. So we see from the fact that Lot was going along with Avram in that schus and that merit, because of Avram, because of the fact that he was wealthy, so Lot also became wealthy. Amr of Chanan, Rav Chanan says as follows: If somebody tells on someone else, so to speak, meaning let's say someone calls out to God and says, "This person has done a wrong to me," so the person who called out he gets punished first. Shenemar, as the verse says, because Sarah says to Sarah, said to Avram Avinu that my anger is upon you. So we see that Sarah imenu she was calling out and saying that Abraham had done something wrong to her. We see that who died first between the two of them, it was Sarah who died first, even though she should have lived to the same age as Avram Avinu. And therefore, from the fact that we see that this was a punishment, so you see that when someone calls out and, and tells, so to speak, on someone else, so they're going to be punished first. And this is speaking about the Isle Dina Ba'ara, that you have a court to go to on the earth. Meaning, let's say there's nowhere to go to request that someone judge for you between one person and another. So then to call out to God, it makes sense. And to say that this person is doing something wrong, that makes sense. But if there's a place to go, and as the Marshal explains, then there was a place to go, which was the best in the court of shame, shame the son of Noah. So since they could have gone there, and she didn't, instead she called out to Hashem, so she was doing something wrong, and therefore she was punished first. Amr Yitzchak, Yitzchak says, Woe unto the one who calls out, even more so than the one who's called out about. Tanya we have a brace like this as well. The verse talks about a person who's calling out to God because of some wrong that was done to him. So, And then the verse says that Hashem is going to come and destroy everyone. So the implication is that both the person who called out and the person who was called out about, they're both going to get destroyed. However, the person who called out, well, actually, it'll be quicker for him that he'll get destroyed first. An understanding of this is that if you could bring someone to court, as we said before, and you don't bring them to court, but rather you call out to God, so then God punishes the person who called out. A person should never make light of the curse of a regular person. We find that Avimelech, so he gave a curse to Sarah, and it was fulfilled in her children. The verse says, he was referring to the clothing, the presents that he was giving to Abraham, to Avram Avinu, and he referred to them as something that's covering the eyes. So what did he mean? Since you covered up for me, and you didn't reveal to me that this was your husband, and he caused me this pain, it should be Hashem's will that you should have children who are unable to see, whose eyes are covered. And this is something that was fulfilled in her children. Because the verse says in regards to Sarah's kid, which was Yitzchak, and it was when Yitzchak was over, his eyes became difficult for him to see. Best that a person should be someone who is chaste and not someone who chases others. Because we don't find a bird that's more chased after than turtle doves and doves. And the Torah says that these animals which are chased after, those are the ones that are kosher, that are, that are able to be brought on the altar in the temple. So the Marshal explains this idea and says that it doesn't mean that a person literally has to be someone who's chaste, but rather what it means is that if you have someone who's chasing and someone who's 
getting chased, one should always side with the person who's the underdog, so to speak. And therefore, by doing that, so a person will be considered a kosher person, somebody who God desires. The Gemara continues. However, somebody said in the Mishnah that if someone says, knock out my eye, so even if the guy says on the condition that you're not going to have to pay for it, you still have to pay. But we said if I say, rip my shirt, destroy some of my property, and I say on the condition that you're not going to have to pay, then in fact you won't have to pay. So Rav Asi Barchama says the following to Rav Mashna, what's the difference between the first case that we said that you will have to pay no matter what, and the second case where we said that it depends. So he says in regards to the case where I said to, to knock out my eye, knock off my hand, whatever it is, so a person is not mochal, he doesn't forgive, even when he says you should knock it off, he doesn't really forgive the person for doing it, and therefore there will be an obligation to pay. Um, so he's responding and said, What about the pain? Why doesn't he have to pay for the pain? A person is mochli, forgives the tsar, the pain. To Tanya, we have a b'risa, that uh, if he says to him, hit me, uh, wound me, on the condition that you won't have to pay, there's no obligation to pay. So what's the understanding? How can you say that the understanding has to do with the fact that I'm mochal or I'm not mochal, I forgive or I don't forgive? Ishtigi had no answer. So he says, did you hear anything about this matter? She says to him like this, this is what Rav Shesha says, the issue has to do, why is there an obligation to pay? It doesn't have to do so much with whether or not I forgive or don't forgive. The issue has to do with the fact that it's going to make a pagam, a negative impact on the family name. Rav says indeed that the reason is because a person doesn't forgive his limbs and therefore he has to pay for that. Rav Yechanan understands that the case here is slightly different than we understood from the Ahan said and that is that Ruvain let's say, says to Shimon, knock off my arm, knock out my eye. And Shimon says, um, do you mean that I'm not going to have to pay you for it if I do it? And Ruvain says, yes. So Rabbi Yechon is saying that sometimes when he says yes, he really means that he's not going to have to pay. And sometimes when he says yes, if he says it in a negative way, so then it means that he will have to pay. He's not really mochli, he doesn't really forgive him. And that's the issue here. So according to Rabbi Yechon, what happened was he said yes in this kind of not really serious tone. And therefore when he knocks off his arm or his eye, he's going to still have to pay for it. Like this as well, showing like Rabbi Yechonon's understanding. Let's he says to him, hit me, wound me. And the other guy says, on the condition that I'm not going to have to pay. And the person responds, yes. There are times when a person says yes and he means no. Let's say he says to him, rip my shirt on the condition that I'm not going to have an obligation. And the guy says no. So sometimes there's a time that a person says no, but he really means yes. So therefore everything depends on the tone. Everything has to be taken into account when we're trying to figure out if there's an obligation or not. An important point that Rashi makes is that when we're trying to determine the difference between the case where we said, where someone says to his friend, uh, destroy my eye, destroy my arm, whatever it is, so we said on the mission that generally speaking, there's going to be an obligation because generally speaking, a person, when he says yes or no, the, the implication is going to be towards the negative. A person doesn't usually mean to forgive the hezek, the damage that's caused. But in regards to the clothing or the someone's property, so there a person's response usually is going to be more in the positive if he's going to respond, he's going to respond without such a hakpada, without being so uh, stringent on the other person, and usually he will indeed be more forgiving. Now the Gemara continues. We said in the mission, if someone says to his friend, break my jug, rip my clothing, so there's going to be an obligation on the person who has done it. Now the Gemara asks, I'll bring you a contradiction to this statement. The indication from the verse is that if someone gives someone else something to watch of his own thing, and and he is poshea, he's negligent with it, so there's an obligation to pay. 
but the indication is, but not if I gave it to you to destroy. Meaning, if I gave you an object and I said, destroy this thing, get rid of it, lose it, so then there wouldn't be an obligation. Lishmor, blah, the kraya. There's only an obligation to watch something if I give it to you to watch, but not if I give it to you to rip up. Lishmor, blah, the chalaglanim. There's only obligation for negligence if I give it to you to watch, but not if I gave it to you to give out to poor people. And that's why she explains, if I give it to you to give out to poor people, so then I wasn't giving it for you to actually watch, but rather to give out the money. So I didn't have any intention of getting the money back. The poor people can't go and say to you, hey, you were negligent and give us our money because he could always say I wasn't going to give you the money I was going to give it to someone else and as far as the person who gave him the money so that person doesn't have any claim either because as far as he was concerned it was no longer in his possession and when he gave it to him to give it to the poor people there's no longer accountability so therefore there's no one who can say that you have to be accountable and therefore he doesn't have an obligation if he was negligent in it but what do we see? it seems to be a contradiction to the mission because in the mission where I said I'm giving it to you to destroy and you destroyed it you have an obligation here I'm giving it to you to destroy you will not have an obligation so what's the understanding of the contradiction? I'm Rav Huna says, Lay kosher. It's not a problem. Depends if it got to his hands. If I gave it to you to watch, and then you destroyed it, so then you have an obligation to pay for it. But if I hadn't given it to you yet, and you destroyed it, so then you won't have an obligation to pay for it, because you didn't accept upon yourself the shmira, the watching of it. So Rabba says, Hold on a second. When in the Brysa, what do we say that the explanation is, why does he not have an obligation to pay? Because he didn't yet get it. That's, that can't be true, because it says we're talking about a case where I'm giving it to you to watch. The indication is I actually gave it over to your hands. So that can't be the distinction between the Bryce and the Mishnah. So Rav explains as follows. Both cases, the Mishnah and the Bryce, are where it got to his hands. And it's not a contradiction. If I gave it to you in order to watch it, and then I told you to destroy it, and then you destroyed it, and you didn't ask me if you're going to not have an obligation by destroying it, so then you will have an obligation to destroy it. But where I give it to you originally to in order to destroy so that's the Bryce's case where there's not going to be an obligation there was a certain purse of tzedakah money of charity money that was brought or came to Pumpadisa so Rav Yosef who was the guy with he was in charge of giving out the charity he gave it to a certain person to watch so he wasn't careful with it and and the robbers came and stole it so Rav Yosef said that he has an obligation to pay we have a brisa that seems to say not like you. It says if I give it to you to watch, then there's an obligation to pay, but not if I give it to you to give out to the poor. So how could you say that there's an obligation in this case? So he responded and said, That Rav Yosef said that when do we say that there's no obligation to pay? Because when there's no mum and tayvin, when there's no one to come and say this is my money, because the person who's the gavet tzedakah, the person who's giving out the money, could always say I wasn't going to give it to you, I was going to give it to someone else. But in Pumbadisa, everyone has a certain amount that they get, there was a certain amount of money in the wallet that contained the money, and therefore each person can say, this is how much I'm supposed to get, and therefore the person who lost the money, he was posha, he was negligent in it, there will be an obligation on him to pay. We will return to you, chapter HaChovel. We turn to Tzadikim, we begin at the Mishnah, if someone steals wood, vasan and he makes it into some kind of vessel. Tzemer, if someone steals wool, vasan and he makes it into clothing. Mishalim kishat so he doesn't have to actually return the wood that he stole that he's now made into something else. He made it into a chair. He doesn't have to return return a chair, but rather he returns the amount of value that it was worth when he originally stole it. Gozal let's say he stole a cow that was pregnant, viyolda, and while I was at his house, it gave birth. Rachel tuuna let's say he stole a sheep that had a lot of wool on it and had not yet been shorn, and then 
then he took off the wool. So he has to pay back the original value that he stole, which was the value of a cow that was pregnant, or the value of a sheep that had the had not been shorn. So therefore, and Rashi points out, therefore the person who stole it, he's actually going to, in a certain way, benefit because he's going to end up, let's say in the case of the sheep, he's going to end up with a sheep and the wool, which separate have a greater value than a sheep who still has wool that was unshorn. So he's going to benefit in a certain sense. Let's say he stole a cow and became pregnant at slow while it was by him. Viyald and then it gave birth. Let's say he stole a sheep and while it was by him, so the wool grew on it and then he shore the wool. So he has to pay like the original value that he stole. This is a general rule. Whenever someone steals, he always has to pay based on the original value of the thing that he stole. We begin the Gemara. Amri, we say like this. The indication for the Mishnah is only if I took wood and I made it into a vessel in, then it's considered that I changed it enough that I don't have to return the wood as it is now, but rather I pay him back. But the indication is if, let's say, all I did was I stole wood and I smoothed it down, I didn't do a significant change, so I wouldn't be able to give him back money as I originally stole the thing, but rather I have to give him back with the change, with the advantage that I added to it. Let's say we have wool, it's in the Mishnah, and you made it into clothing in, so that's when I have to give him back money and I don't have to give him back the thing as it is now. Live non but the indication is if all I did was one stage, all I did was whiten the wool, then I wouldn't be able to do this. I'd have to give it back as it is. Or a minnow bring a contradiction. We have a bracer that seems to say not that way. Let's say someone stole wood and he smoothed down the wood. He stole stones and he smoothed down the stones. He stole wool and he whitened it. He stole flax and he cleaned it up. So he doesn't have to return it as it is now. It's considered that he changed it. And whenever we talk about stealing something, so you don't have to return it once it's been changed. You only return the original thing as it was originally when you stole it. Otherwise, you have to pay. So we see in this case that it's considered that you changed it even though you did a small amount of, of uh, changing. Amar Abayi says, Actually, our Mishnah and the Brisa are not a contradiction. We can explain it as follows. Our Mishnah is talking about where you changed it in a way that wasn't as significant, but the sages said that in such a case, if you did this type of change, even though it could return to the original way it was, nevertheless, we're not going to make you do that and you can pay as you originally did it. The Koshikin Shina the Raisa, and certainly if we're talking about a case like the Brisa, where you did a significant change that doesn't, can't be returned to the way it was before. That what's the case of the Mishnah? So we understood that you had stolen wood and you went so far as to make it into some kind of vessel. Okay, so the wood that you stole that we're talking about here is actually you stole wood that had already been sanded down. And what are we talking about? Boards. So what did you do? You made out of these boards, you made some kind of box that you can just as easily take it apart and return it as it originally was. Because you could just take it apart. So, and the indication is that that's not as strong of a change, but nevertheless, we say, all you have to do is pay the original value, and you don't have to take it apart. The case that we talked about where you had wool, and you made it into clothing, what are we talking about? You stole wool that had already been spun. Now that you made this wool that had already been spun into a garment, theoretically, you could unravel the garment and give it back as it originally was. It could return to the way it was. You could undo it. Nevertheless, the sage just says, you don't have to undo it, you can give back the money, the original value of the thing. The Kol Shekane, and certainly in the case of the Brisa, where there was a change that was even from the Torah, it wasn't just a small change, it was a change that doesn't come back to the way it originally was. And what about the Brisa? Why didn't it say like the Mishnah? Because the Brisa is only discussing changes that from the Torah are considered a significant change. But it's not discussing the cases that from the sages that they had said that it's considered a change.
Ravashi, and Ravashi gives a different explanation of this steer between the Bryce and the Mishnah. It could be that our Mishnah is actually talking about a, shin, a change, which even from the Torah is considered a change, where you made it into something else that it wasn't originally, and it can't return to the original state, just like in the Bryce. When we talk about that you're making the wood into a vessel, it's talking about where you smoothed out the wood, and you made it into Bukhani, is some kind of flat board that you use for different purposes. The Hainu Shifon, it's exactly the same as the Bryce, we smoothed out the wood, and that's something that can't return to its previous state. What do we mean when we talk about the wool that you made into a garment? Namti, it's talking about what you made it into a felt garment. It's a type of change that you can't unravel the wool that you made into a different type of garment, but I guess you cut it or some, something is involved where you can't bring it back to the original state, and therefore that's why in the Mishnah you don't have to return it as it is, but rather give back money as the original value of the thing that you stole. Now the Gemara challenges something that we stated previously. We said before that if you whiten wool, it's considered that you have changed it enough to not have to return it as it is, but rather to get back the original value. So the Gemara says, is that true? Uramin will bring you a contradiction. Let's say someone is supposed to give, the halacha is, the, the Torah tells us, we're supposed to give the first of our shearings to the Kohen, to the priest. Let's say before you gave it to him, you colored it, potter, so you no longer have to give it to him. Let's say you, you whitened it, but you hadn't colored it yet. There's still is an obligation, it's not considered that you've changed it enough to be able to take it out of the Rishus out of the possession of the coin, the priest that you're supposed to give it to. So what do we see? We see that it's a contradiction. We see that whitening it is not considered changing it. Amar Abai, so Abai says, look, kosher, it's not a problem. It's actually an argument between Rabbi Shimon and the sages whether or not whitening is considered a significant change. Ditani, we have a b'raisa. So Rashi tells us that there's a certain amount of shearings that one has to shear from his sheep in order to have an obligation to give a significant present to the coin, to the priest, from the shearings. So the way that you determine it, so many times from one sheep, it's not going to be enough, the shearings from that sheep, to create an obligation to give from those shearings. But rather, Rashi says you have to have four or five sheep, and when you put them together, so that that's enough wool that would obligate one to give from the shearings to the coin, to the priest. So Rashi explains that in this case, what we're talking about over here is where between each sheep, between the shearings, so you did something, you did something significant, which was you shore the first sheep, let's say, then you spun the wool and you wove it, so then, since you did this whole thing in between, so we don't consider that they're all connected, they're all grouped together, these five different sheep, and therefore, even if you have the right amount that's necessary in order to take off, to give to the coin, to the priest, nevertheless you won't. Now, live now, let's say all you did in between is that you whitened the wool. Rabbi Shimon, I'm mitzdaif. So Rabbi Shimon says that it's already considered something that's going to separate between the shearings. You've done something significant You've done a significant change to that first shearing. The sages say, no, it does connect. We don't consider it something significant. So it's actually an argument whether or not the act of whitening the wool is considered a significant act. Rav Amar, Rav offers a different explanation to reconcile the two Bryceus, the one that seems to say that whitening it is considered a change, and one that seems to say that it's not. We could really say that it, both Bryceus are Rabbi Shimon. Let's remember, Rabbi Shimon says that whitening is a significant change. And it's not a problem. There is another step that's involved here. There's also combing. If you combed it just with your hands, it's not as significant of a change. But if you combed it with a uh, regular comb, with a utensil, so then that's considered a significant change. And that's where the whitening is significant. Rabbi Chibar Avin offers a different explanation. One, when we say that it's not considered a significant whitening. It's where you didn't do a very great whitening. You whitened it a little bit. But if you whitened it with sulfur, which is a very significant whitening, then that's considered a significant change. 
Now the Gemara challenges. As we're about to see, according to Rabbi Shimon, so even if you color it, it's not considered a significant change. Could it be that he holds that whitening is considered a change? The time of a Brisa goes as Rishon, Rishon. If let's say you shore them off one at a time, you have a number of animals, and in between the animals, you colored the shearings. Rishon, Rishon, let's say you did them one at a time, and in between, you spun the wool. Rishon, Rishon, you did them one at a time, and in between, you wove the wool. So then we don't connect the different sheep, and it's not going to be considered enough to take off the ratio, so I guess to take off this present of the coin. Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda Aimer, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda says in the name of Rabbi Shimon, If you colored it, in fact, it's not going to be considered something significant, and you will connect the different shearings of the different animals. So what do we see? We see that coloring it is not significant. So how can you say that whining it is significant? Amar Abayas, Abayas says, Kasha. This is not a problem. These are two different opinions according to Rabbi Shimon. The one that we said before that whining is significant was the sages quoting Rabbi Shimon. The one that we said over here where even coloring is not significant is according to Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda in the name of Rabbi Shimon. So it's not a contradiction. Rava Amar, Rava says a different explanation. Really, no one argues the sages under Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda about what Rabbi Shimon said. And actually coloring is worse than whining. Because why? Since you could actually be able to take out the color through a whitening agent. However, when you talk about whitening, you can't undo the whitening. An important point, this is that we said previously, that if before you had an opportunity to give it to the Kohen, you had colored it, so then you don't have to give it to the Kohen anymore. We said this is going according to everyone, so we see it sounds like when you've colored it, so it's something that you can't change. It's talking about a specific type of dye, a special, a special dye, which is indigo, and that color was a very steadfast dye that wouldn't be able to be taken out, and therefore it's considered a change as opposed to all the dyes which can be taken out and therefore it's not considered a change.